Well, good morning, everybody. It is uh, time for a January 18th edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. It was also time for two of my really good friends to call me right at 1028 and 1029. So if I'm a little late, I apologize for that. But it's good to be with you here on um, what a bummer of a day, man. My Cleveland Browns yesterday, uh, it just seemed like everything was breaking our way once Patrick Mahomes got hurt and had to leave the game. And our running game was cooking and I was envisioning a Browns-Buffalo AFC Championship game. The two most downtrodden franchises historically in the AFC over the last two decades. Uh, Buffalo had the longest playoff drought until last year. The Browns had the second longest playoff drought until Buffalo didn't have the longest playoff drought. And, well, actually the Bills made it a couple years ago when Andy Dalton was still a Bengal. But at any rate, uh, the Bengals, uh, the Bills and Browns, uh, maybe not two decades now that I think about it. Yeah, the Bills had been in four straight Super Bowls back in the uh, Marv Levy days. But anyway, Buffalo and the Browns in the AFC title game, hopefully in the snow, two working-class towns. That would have been so awesome. But it wasn't to be. It wasn't to be, and we'll get into the reasons why it wasn't to be. But I'm glad you're with me today. Uh, i got a really good faith portion planned for you later on in the podcast. Uh, let's uh, up front clear out... Uh, One of our most necessary things on this podcast, which is to remind you that it's important for their continued support of the podcast to support our sponsors, the first of which was HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Make sure you keep ordering. If you haven't ordered yet, it would be great if you would order. Hemisphere does great things around the world by buying their coffee direct from growers in uh, under, I would say under, well, I don't know, under what, but they're not thriving countries. They're not thriving villages, Nicaragua, Thailand, Ethiopia, Indonesia, but they thrive. Those villages thrive when Hemisphere buys their coffee direct from the growers and you get great coffee. So great. My girls have become fans of it and customers of it. And I do business with great people. I don't do business with people who are shady or difficult to deal with. Hopefully I'm not difficult to deal with. And it would just be awesome if you'd support them and let them know you support them via the podcast or via 98.9 The Answer, if that's where you heard about it. But there's a How Did You Hear About Us box. And Spielman and Hooley podcast listeners, whoops, that's like in my head, that's like San Diego Chargers and Oakland Raiders, Spielman and Hooley podcast. Spiels is not a regular part of the podcast anymore as he bears down on hiring a head coach for the Detroit Lions. I didn't check today. They hired a coach yet. They hired a GM. I knew that. That one slipped by me. So uh, they won't be hiring Robert Sala, which I thought they were. Uh, Robert Sala is the head coach of the New York Jets, uh, which is surprising. I thought he'd get the Detroit Lions job. I know Chris likes Robert Sala a lot, but that's not any proprietary information. He liked him a lot back when he was sitting right over there and talking about his frequent trips to San Francisco. He really liked Robert Sala, but the Jets got him, and there's rumors that the Lions were going to hire Dan Quinn. I don't know. I got to check and see if they hired anybody yet. Let's see. Detroit Lions head coach. Uh, but anyway, use the promo code we tackle life in all caps when you order from HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com, and you'll get 15% off. Uh, okay, well, we know the Jacksonville Jaguars hired a new coach, and he's Urban Meyer. I think this is the first time I've been talking to you since Urban became the head coach of the Jags. No, it's not. It's the second time. I said the other day I was a little surprised that he took it. Um, and so uh, good luck to him. His staff starting to round into shape. Charlie Strong, his former defensive coordinator at Florida. 
think he was at Florida with Urban. Uh, Charlie Strong, no, I got Charlie Strong in my head from Ohio State Bowl games. Charlie Strong was the defensive coordinator at South Carolina in Lou Holtz days when South Carolina beat Ohio State twice in the Outback Bowl. I think Charlie was at Florida when Urban was there, but I know he was not their D. Well, he, yeah, he was their co-defensive coordinator. Charlie Strong and Greg Madison in 2006. Madison, of course, is now with Ohio State. Urban is also supposedly going to hire Raheem Morris. Maybe that's official. Raheem Morris was an interview for the Jags head coaching job, but you're not going to hire Raheem Morris. If you can hire Urban Meyer, Raheem Morris, having coached the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not going to sell nearly as many tickets with the Jags as Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence are. So uh, they got an offensive guy to go with Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. I'll, I'll allow it's possible, probably not likely, that Justin Fields is the number one overall pick, but Trevor Lawrence will be. And so uh, that's where we sit. Uh, Dan Campbell of the Saints, uh, assistant head coach, tight ends coach, according to Adam Schefter, is now the leader in the clubhouse to become the head coach of the Detroit Lions. Campbell is 44 years old. He's never been a coordinator in the NFL. He's viewed as a motivator and someone who can bring the team together instead of an X's and O's guru. Well, I can tell you that's what the Lions have said they're going to hire. Uh, a consensus builder, a leader, uh, someone who can cast vision. Uh, this is not from a private phone call with Chris. This is from Rod Wood, the team president. One of the two people over spiels on the food chain of Detroit Lions power. The other being Sheila Ford Hemp, or Hamp, the owner of the team. Spiels is number three in the leadership chain, in the power chain. Uh, Rod Woods quote, I think leadership and somebody that can work with the general manager, that's what we're looking for in a head coach, and somebody that has the experience either as a head coach or you can project that experience as a coordinator into being a head coach and really diving into those types of questions. So there you go. Uh, Matt Campbell. Not, not the Matt Campbell. Is it Matt Campbell? Not the Matt Campbell from Iowa State. Wait, I know the guy. Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell. Okay. <clears throat> By the way, the, Matt, the fact that Matt Campbell is still out there as the Iowa State head coach in hiring season is crazy to me. Absolutely crazy to me. Michigan, you're crazy that you gave Jim Harbaugh a five-year extension. Just nuts. Uh, I don't know if I've said this on this podcast. I have so many conversations with friends around Jim Harbaugh. What do I make of Jim Harbaugh getting a five-year contract extension? Jim Harbaugh got a five-year contract extension as Michigan's head coach at $4 million a year, which is half of what he was making, because Michigan didn't have the stomach to break up. They didn't have the stomach to break up. All right, I, I would venture to say that everybody listening to this podcast, whether you're a male or a female, has been in a relationship at some point in your life that you knew was not working and you stayed in it longer than you wanted to. You stayed in it after you came to the realization that the relationship was not working because you just didn't want to have the awkward conversation over dinner or in the car or at the front door or somewhere. You just put it off because you didn't want to have the breakup conversation. Now, you probably eventually got to the breakup conversation, unless you did something stupid like married the person and then had to have the breakup conversation or you're living a miserable life because I should have broken up years ago. Hopefully that's not your situation. But Michigan just, Ward Manuel and the Michigan power people just can't have the conversation with Harbaugh and deal with the 
immediate, but I will say momentary protest over firing Jim Harbaugh. First, I'm not sure there would be much of a protest over firing Jim Harbaugh. I think it's pretty self-evident. He's 0-5 against Ohio State. What is he, 2-3 and against Michigan State? Even if he's 3-2, and uh, that's pathetic. It's pathetic to lose to Michigan State this year in Ann Arbor. I know there were no fans, but still, you cannot lose to this year's Michigan State team if you're Jim Harbaugh, and he did. So just incredible that they cannot bring themselves to break up with Jim Harbaugh. By the way, I had an interesting uh, question with uh, that I need to get answered. Maybe it's been answered and I missed it. Where's the Ohio State-Michigan game next year? Where is the game? Is it in Ann Arbor as scheduled, or is it in Columbus because they didn't play this year? I would think it would be in Columbus. Should be in Columbus. Why should Michigan get two in a row up there? Not that it'll make any difference. But it just to me, I would make them come to Columbus. Uh, that's something Gene Smith ought to be stumping for if, in fact, he already hasn't and if, in fact, it hasn't already been decided. Okay, so Harbaugh, Michigan, you got to break up. Stupid. They let him talk to the NFL. So they were trying. It was like he was, you know, you're free to date other people if you want to. Uh, they let him date other people, and nobody wanted to date him. Nobody. So what does that tell you, Michigan? It tells you that you have a coach that other people don't want. And there sits Matt Campbell in Ames, Iowa, having won a Fiesta Bowl with a power team, with a motivated team of three-star recruits, a guy who won at Mount Union, a guy who won at Toledo, an Ohio guy, a Maslin Ohio guy. By the way, Bo Schembechler was from Barberton. Maybe Stark County guys and Michigan click. I can't fathom what Michigan is doing bringing back Jim Harbaugh. And I can't fathom that I'm saying this five years after I said that. What a great hire by Michigan. Okay, enough Michigan. Boy, that's a stupid move. Oh, my brownies, my brownies, my brownies. Okay, before I get into it, now you know it's coming. Brace yourself. A reminder, Willis Spangler Starling's the official attorney firm of Bruce Hooley and of the We Tackle Life podcast. And they are available to answer questions from you on my radio show on 98.9 The Answer. Every Friday night at 6 o'clock, we do Ask the Attorney. Stan Willis has been kind enough to come on and has answered your questions. And so if you have a question that you always wanted to ask an attorney, but you don't want to be billed an hourly rate for it, send it to me at 989theanswer.com. Bruce at 989theanswer.com. We'll get your question asked on Friday. And if you're looking for an attorney... And I just had a friend of mine who's starting a business reach out and say, hey, I want to get a hold of your attorney firm. So there you go. He's smart. Wills estate planning, probate, employment law. You think maybe you're the victim of uh, age discrimination? Excuse me. Sneeze coming on. I'll mark the sneeze at 11.58. Take that sneeze out on the audio portion, but I can't do it on the video portion. That's the risk of live podcasting. Wills estate planning, employment law, probate, uh, contracts, uh, workers' comp. Those are biggies, and Will Spangler-Starling handles them all. Was in their offices last week. Really cool place. Nobody wears a tie. They're all, like, down-to-earth people. Well, don't worry. They'll wear a tie when they go to court. But it's just a relaxed atmosphere. You get to know them. You get to like them, and you'll see that they serve others by uh, through their love of the law, and that's what it's all about in serving is to do something you're great at, find enjoyment in it, but also help others. Willis Spangler-Starling online, willisattorneys.com. Okay. When the Browns game against the Chiefs started to unfold yesterday in the first half, 
for a while, I felt like I was watching the national championship game all over again. The Chiefs offense is just so good. What are you going to do with Tyreek Hill? What are you going to do with Travis Kelsey? What are you going to do with Patrick Mahomes? Too many weapons. Too many weapons. And they didn't even have Clyde Edwards-Elair. So I was like, okay, you know, they're just great, and there's nothing we can do about it. Then Browns started. And by the way, what were the Browns doing in the first half, like never running the ball? Like 18 rushing yards in the first half, no touches for Kareem Hunt. That's coaching malpractice. Kevin Stefanski, get Kareem Hunt in the game. Get the ball in his hands. Former Chief, who had a big-time reason to play great yesterday. And they just didn't try to run enough. And I know, you know, you feel this burden, like, they're scoring, we got to do it. And the Browns, after like one or two runs wide, toss, don't you realize, you know what, that's dumb. Let's just run it between the tackles. Because that's where they ended up having success with Nick Chubb. And Nick Chubb, catch the ball. Man. Dropped a couple passes. Can't have, can't make mistakes in a game like that, okay? So, I started out not believing they could win. Then we get to the end of the half, and we're driving, and I'm thinking, hey, hey, it's going to be 16-10 to 10 at halftime because we're going to score, but don't score too quick, boys. Don't give Mahomes any time because if Rashard Higgins had scored and not fumbled the ball out of the side of the end zone for a touchback, had he scored, I'm convinced Chiefs would have come down and scored. They came down and scored, as it was. It was a field goal, but it was a score. So that was so disappointing. I, I don't blame Higgins. He's trying to make a play. He's trying to get in the end zone. I get it. It's just like, man, I just, oh, I just thought, oh, here we go. My team's making a run, and we're not gonna, we're not gonna win today. Okay. So that was my mood at halftime, and I was kind of like, do I even want to watch the third quarter? If the Chiefs had been getting the ball to start the third quarter. I probably would have turned it off because I would have thought, eh, they're going to go down and they're going to score and it'll be 26 to 3 and it'll be over. Well, as it was, the Browns were getting the ball. And I thought, you know, we got to go down and score. And I don't even remember if we did go down and score, but I was sucked in by, you know, what we're doing. And then I do not understand for the life of me why Jim Nance and Tony Romo, who are supposed to be the greatest announcing team of all, I do not understand for the life of me why they did not say anything when Patrick Mahomes scored on a first-half option run on the goal line. Why they said, boy, you know, the risk of running Patrick Mahomes is he's your meal ticket, and if you run him and he's a ball carrier, he can get hit, and if he can get hit, he can get hurt. They didn't make that point. I seem to remember in my mind Andy Reid and the Chiefs Two years ago, I think it was, taking heat for Patrick Mahomes hyperextending a knee and being out several weeks for sneaking him on the goal line. And I thought the takeaway from that was, well, we learned our lesson. We're never running Patrick Mahomes again. But apparently not, because apparently Patrick Mahomes scored a rushing touchdown in the Super Bowl last year. Now, I don't remember how, but wasn't it a scramble? It was a scramble. It was not a called run. So they ran him on a touchdown run in the first half. And I don't know who that Browns defensive lineman was. Maybe it was Claiborne who had a shot at him. And Chris has talked about this a bunch. These defensive players are so programmed. Don't hit the quarterback or it's 15. Don't hit the quarterback or it's a fine. Don't hit the quarterback or I get suspended. That he didn't hit him. And Mahomes like juked and ducked inside him. So he didn't take a hit on that. So when Patrick Mahomes on third and one in the third quarter, when the Chiefs decide, hey, let's run that little option play with Patrick Mahomes again, 
Mac Jones hit him, and he hit him legal. Some woman with the last name Mahomes, I don't know if it's wife or mom, probably mom, tweeted something at Mac Jones and the Browns in the NFL, like, ah, what a trash play. You twisted his neck. You, Yeah. Yeah, mom. If your son runs the option and he's the NFL MVP and the Super Bowl MVP and the Browns have a chance to get him out of the game, blood in the water, he's going to get hit. I got, I got. I got five words for you, Mrs. Mahomes. Tackle football, hand it off. Tackle football, hand it off. You don't want to get hurt? Then don't get hit. And to not get hit, don't run. Sorry, brutal truth. So Patrick Mahomes gets hurt, and he got up looking like Joe Frazier against George Foreman knocked down six times in two rounds. He got up woozy, and Nance said, whoa, whoa, he's woozy. Yeah, he was woozy. And he left the game. And I thought he would probably come back in the game because when he ran up the tunnel, I'm like, okay, he's he's fine. No, he wasn't fine. And no, he wasn't coming back. Which leaves the Chiefs suddenly precarious lead in the hands of Chad Henney. And you could have knocked me over with a pencil. When Nance said Chad Henney is the Chiefs' backup, I would have thought, come on, no way. Is there another Chad Henney that I'm unaware of? Michigan Chad Henney? Jacksonville Jaguars Chad Henney? Miami Dolphins Chad Henney? That Chad Henney? I would have been less surprised if he said Drew Henson is the Chiefs' backup. Because I've always thought Drew Henson and Chad Henney were the same guy. So Chad Henney coming in the game. And Chad Henney threw a nice lollipop interception to the Browns. And the Browns go down, and they get it down to a one-score game. And I'm loving life because I'm thinking, hey, fair and square, you decide Andy Reid to run Patrick Mahomes, stupid. You're going to pay for it by losing to my Cleveland Browns because now we're running it between the tackles with Nick Chubb. Now we're giving it to Kareem Hunt. Now we're making unbelievable catches like Austin Hooper. For the first down. Now we are cooking with peanut oil, baby. And we're going to win this game. So we get the ball back. And all we need to do is drive it down the field and score. And hand the the fate of the Kansas City Chiefs hopes for a Super Bowl repeat to the old hands, leathered, so far as we know, incompetent hands of Chad Henney. And instead, we go like three and out. Like we go three and out. And ultimately, and we're going to talk about, you know, Chad Henney's scramble. And we're going to talk about a swing pass out into the flat, which had acres and acres of room. But the ball game really comes down to you have them precariously in front of you. You have the ball with plenty of time to run the ball the way you want to run the ball and order that drive the way you want to order that drive. And you don't move the ball. That is the game. In my opinion, that is the game. 
because you needed to take the lead there and put the pressure on Chad Henney and the Kansas City Chiefs. Make Chad Henney make a play. Make Chad Henney make a play. All right, so I'm looking at the play-by-play now. We did not go three and out. We got the ball at the Cleveland 20 after the Chiefs kicked a field goal to go up 22-10. to And we come down and score 22-17. And then Chad Henney throws the lollipop Hail Mary interception. And so the Browns have the ball with eight minutes to go, first and 10 at the Cleveland 20. And we go pass to Nick Chubb for four yards. Nick Chubb for no gain, third and six. Rashard Higgins makes a nice move, gets free, first down. Well, we got the first down on Baker Mayfield's uh, sneak. So now it's first and 10 at our 31. Nick Chubb right end, again with the wide run. Like, run it between the tackles. Did the wide run ever gain us squat all day? The toss sweep, slow developing? No. Second and 11, incomplete. Third and 11, Kareem Hunt, two-yard pass. Gosh, I hate that play. But he was under pressure. Dude put pressure on him. He beat Wyatt. It looked like he beat Wyatt Teller on a pass rush. So now we got fourth and nine at the Cleveland 32 with 419 left, and we punt. Now, a lot of people are critical of the punt. I'm not critical of the punt because fourth and nine, if it's fourth and two, we're going. Fourth and nine is hard. I've got to believe the percentages on fourth and nine are like 15% or under. So I don't have a problem with punting there. I have a problem with the defense not making a stop, but I really have a problem with right there is where your quarterback wins the game. Let me ask you this question. If the Green Bay Packers or the Kansas City Chiefs or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or the New Orleans Saints had the ball at their own 20 with eight minutes to go, trailing by five, how many of those teams that I just mentioned would drive down the field and score? Let me phrase it another way. How many of those quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, would drive their team down the field at crunch time and win the football game. That is what this game comes down to, and it's unfortunate in my crystal ball. This is what lies before us on the horizon as Browns fans. I know it's very easy to console yourself today and say, hey, man, we're close. We got a hunger. That was Doug LaMaurice's story in the Plain Dealer today. It wasn't. So much as, ah, we shouldn't have punted. It's like this will instill a resolve that will deliver a Super Bowl bid down the road. I'm not so sure about that. And the reason I'm not so sure about that is because the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes aren't going anywhere. Okay? To get to the Super Bowl, you are going to have to go through the Kansas City Chiefs, most likely. Sound familiar? mid to late 80s, to get to the Super Bowl, you were going to have to get through the Denver Broncos and John Elway. My immediate takeaway after the game was, we are once again, as Browns fans, thrust in a situation where the team that we most likely are going to have to get through to get to the Super Bowl has a way better quarterback than we do. 
I don't mean that to be a knock on Baker Mayfield. I thought Baker was good yesterday. Baker's been really good lately. It's not Baker Mayfield's fault that Patrick Mahomes is better than him. But Patrick Mahomes is better than him. And so don't take this as a knock on Baker. Baker got the Browns relevant again. Baker's done fine. But I continue to view Baker much like I viewed Bernie. A guy who, oh, I like Bernie a lot more because he wasn't such a preener and a, and a poser. But Bernie had limitations. And related to John Elway, John Elway is greater than Bernie Kosar. And Patrick Mahomes is greater than Baker Mayfield. And it's really hard. If you don't have a facet of your team that's good enough to overcome that difference between Elway and Bernie, between Mahomes and Baker, it's going to be really difficult to get past them and get to the Super Bowl. And that's my fear looking forward. I think Stefanski does fine. I like the Browns' talent. I know they're going to beef up the defense. But the Chiefs have Mahomes. And we don't. And so I don't sit here on Monday, January the 18th, after that loss, 22-17, to and say, ah, it's fine. We'll get him next year. We'll get him next year. I don't feel like that. Because Mahomes isn't going anywhere. And Elway wasn't going anywhere back then. And who won Super Bowls? The Broncos. And who didn't? The Browns. And who has? The Chiefs. Do I need to go on? Yes, I do need to go on. Because I got to cover this 14-yard scramble by Chad Henney. Holy smokes, dude. I mean, come on, defense. I don't know, coverage, whatever. You cannot let Chad Henney scramble 14 yards when the Chiefs were going to punt. Can't happen. And then it's fourth and one, and the Chiefs don't punt. They go to the line of scrimmage, and the thought is, oh, they're going to try to draw the Browns off. That's what I thought at the time. Instead, they threw a short pass to Tyreek Hill. Okay, short pass to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill caught the ball. Tyreek Hill ran a route where it's very difficult to cover Tyreek Hill. And I didn't know this until after the game. But if only the Kansas City Chiefs had shown on film what they were going to do in that situation, maybe the Browns would have had a chance to stop it. Well, it turns out the Kansas City Chiefs were facing that exact situation just a couple of weeks ago against the Miami Dolphins. And in that situation, they ran the exact same play with Tyreek Hill. Exact same play. And it went for bigger yardage. Tyreek Hill only got a few yards. But that is inexcusable that at that point in time, you do not have that play scouted and you are not ready for Tyreek Hill. It's not as big a fail as letting Chad Henney scramble for 14 yards. It's not as big a fail as failing to cover the running back in the flat who converted a first down before that final Chiefs series that sustained possession and cost the Browns a victory. 
But defense got to make plays. How many times in the three losses to the Broncos did I sit here as a Browns fan and say, our defense isn't good enough. Our defense isn't good enough. Right now our defense isn't good enough, but our quarterback relative to Patrick Mahomes is not good enough either. So I don't have a whole lot of hope about the future because you're never going to get a better opportunity than when you're within one score and have the ball with eight minutes to go and Patrick Mahomes is out of the game. That, that was their opportunity. Much as in all those three title games against the Broncos, the first one was the Browns' opportunity. 86 at home with the lead. Broncos fumble to kickoff, start with 98 yards to go to tie the football game, and you know what happened. You know what happened. So I sit here like really mad about that game yesterday because it's a winnable game and we didn't win it. We didn't make the plays to win it. And we had their star out of the game. And we had a blueprint for what they were going to do on fourth and one. And we didn't cover it. So that game frosts me yesterday. I'm really happy that Tom Brady and the Pat- and the uh, Patriots, Tom Brady and the Bucks won last night against the Saints. I'm not a fan of the city of New Orleans. I am a fan of Drew Brees. I thought the Saints were mouthy and chippy and the Bucks played football and I'm happy that Tom Brady is in. Tom Brady in the AFC Championship game against Josh Allen in New England. No, 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 no. What am I talking about? It's the NFC. Uh, it's, uh, of course, the Bills now going to Kansas City and the uh, why can't I remember the I have, oh, the Packers. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. So, great game in Green Bay. All right. <clears throat> I'm going to get to Buckeye Hoops. First, auinfo.com. You're a business owner. I know it's a pain to move your benefits. I know it's a pain. Talking to Stan Willis, he's like, you know, if I'd have known about them when I changed my benefits a year ago, I probably I would have gone with them. But it's such a pain to change. Well, Stan's going to give it a shot, look at it, evaluate it. You're a business owner. You should do the same. Here's why I would think auinfo to you business owners would be worth your time. First of all, they're great people, they're small business, all the things I've talked about before. But they have a facet that is offered to you free and unlimited HR stuff. I don't even know all the HR stuff. I can only imagine if you run your own business and you have to deal with people who, I want the vaccine. Oh, I can't come back to work till I get the vaccine. No, I don't want the vaccine. And you got people who are like, but I'm getting the vaccine. I don't want to work with them if they don't get the vaccine. And blah, blah, blah. Million different things, compliance issue-wise, governments involved, all that. Major headache. Now you got minimum wage going up and all this stuff. So all the HR stuff that you probably have either a full-time HR person for or you pay a consultant and pay a big fat fee. And there are companies that do nothing but HR. But Chrissy and the AUIinfo.com team realized that HR would be a way to differentiate them from other health insurance brokerages that offer health, vision, dental, disability. But they just found Julie out there and Julie's super smart on HR stuff. So they have the HR consultant. You don't pay extra for it. You don't pay anything to AUI. They're paid by the companies that do business with you through them. And they don't have like, oh, these are our vendors. No, they have everybody. So I'm not quite sure exactly how that works, but I know you don't pay them. And I know that they get paid by someone else. And I know they're awesome. That's what I know about Chrissy. She's awesome. AUIinfo.com, AUIinfo.com. Let them get all the answers and all the questions uh, that you have about switching, they'll do all the legwork. You just evaluate, here's what I get here, here's what I get here, and boom, you make the decision. All right, to happier topics. Basketball Buckeyes, Saturday. Yeah, it's a Saturday tradition for Bruce to expect a double-figure spanking by a top-15 team and the Buckeyes to win easily. Well, it wasn't that easy. It was easy early, 
EJ Liddell. Let's tell EJ that the Buckeyes are playing Purdue. Uh, excuse me. Let's tell that's what that's who they're really playing. Let's tell EJ that Wednesday's game is against Illinois, because EJ, two-time Mister Basketball from the state of Illinois, is an Illinois killer. Seventeen and eleven last year against Illinois, off the bench, and twenty-six career high twenty-six and seven boards on Saturday. Uh, but the the story of this game, much like the story of the win over Rutgers a week ago, number fifteen Rutgers, number fourteen Illinois was that the Buckeyes got a big lead, hung on down the stretch, made enough plays down the stretch to win it. But it's the balance, and it's the where's it coming from today kind of thing. Saturday, they put Seth Towns in early, and I'm thinking, Seth Towns played three minutes against Northwestern on Wednesday, and he was not good. Saturday against Illinois, he was great. He made a couple threes, big big steal and three-point play in the second half. Uh, Zed Key, what are the odds Zed Key, about 6'8", is going to be able to do anything against 7'285", Kofi Coburn in the post? Not good, right? Zed Key, oh, I don't care. I'll just bang and bang and bang and bang on this guy. I'll back him into the basket, and I'll just hook it over him. And that's what he did. Scored eight points. Justin Arns, money on open three-pointers in the second half. Two daggers when Illinois had a rally going. Justin with 11. They put Justin in the lineup to take the place of C.J. Walker. They could not be two more dissimilar players than Justin Arns and C.J. Walker. But the only thing they have in common is they're both left-handed. Arns is not a ball handler. C.J. is. Arns is not a defender. C.J. theoretically is. Arns is not a point guard. C.J. is. But this is the brilliance of Chris Holtman, right? Now we'll move Justice Suing to the point. We'll move Justin Arns in. Teams will have to honor Arns on the perimeter. It'll open up the middle of the lane. EJ will have more space, and it's working great. So I don't know if they're going to have Jimmy Sotos back on Wednesday against Purdue, but uh, I told Holtman Saturday, I said, if you keep this up, people are going to think point guards are overrated. Point guards are not necessary because he's lost three point guards this year, and uh, they're great. Michi, hey, 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 my guy Michi, three-pointer against Illinois, 17 minutes. For the should-be high school senior, Michi Johnson. I told you you ought to be out there. What a win that was. You beat Illinois, man, anywhere. I don't care if you beat them at Upper Arlington High School. That's a great win. They are, Illinois loaded. Without poking the bear that is Brad Underwood, the Illinois coach, without angering the Illinois, the Illini, before they come back to Value City Arena later in the year, let me just ask, how in the heck do you have five losses with that talent? Holy cow, are you talented? Man, Aya DeSomu and Kofi Coburn and some of the guards you have Trent Frazier. Jeepers, creepers, you are talented. But you got five losses, and one of them came from Ohio State on Saturday. Woo, 87-81. Thought they were going to give it away with their bad free throw shooting from the 2-minute and 30-second mark down to the 30-second mark. Ohio State made 3 of 8. From the 30-second mark to the end, they made 8 of 8. <clears throat> so, that's what you got to do. I'd prefer it kick in a little earlier, the accuracy from the line, but still, what a great, great, great win that was. And kudos to Chris Holtman. He continues to knock it out of the park as the head coach of the Buckeyes. All right, let me check the questions on Facebook. Uh, Rick says, why was every single throw highly contested by Kansas City, but so often Kansas City was wide open? They have better corners, I guess. 
The latter I get, but not the former. And what was Kansas City doing with their run? Well, they shouldn't have been running Patrick Mahomes. Uh, so, uh, Rick uh, notes also, he says, you're right that next year is likely not going to give us a good chance as this year. Five down with five minutes to go, and we go three and out. Yeah, that's that's a ball game. I mean, you got to go in and win the game right there. You have to. You got all the time in the world. You're not in a timeout situation. Oh, I think I covered this, but just so frustrating. Make a play when you have to make a play. <laughs> Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Okay. Let me hit. Oh, I get. I, I try to look at the camera throughout this whole thing, and because I want to engage with you, and then I forget to do the banners for our ad uh, folks. And I want to label this one. This is the faith portion of the podcast. Okay. So I told you a week or so ago I was going to start reading the book of Acts because Acts in the New Testament, after the Gospels, was written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a doctor. Luke was meticulous recorder of historical events. The book of Acts is basically how the church grew in the aftermath of Christ's uh, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. Crucifixion on the cross, resurrection came to life after being in the tomb three days, then ascended to heaven, and that is covered. The ascension of Christ is covered in Acts 1. Disciples are all standing there on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is taken up into heaven, and the angels speak to the disciples, and Jesus has already told them, after I'm gone, you wait. The Father in heaven will give you the Holy Spirit, will come over you, empower you to preach the gospel going forward and to make new converts. So we have a world now where, and by the way, this is not, if you're not a faith person, these are historical events, okay? Whether you believe in Jesus Given, have given your life to Jesus or not, you have to believe he lived. There's way too many historical records that he lived, okay? And you have to also acknowledge that are there churches all over America, all over the world that teach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are there millions and hundreds of millions of followers or tens of millions of followers of Christianity as a religion? Yeah, those are facts, okay? So Jesus lived, the church has flourished, that's a fact, okay? So whether you look at it as, that's my church, that's my religion, that's my faith, that's my belief, or you look at it like, yeah, that's a historical fact, I just drove past this corner, that corner, there's a church, and they they believe that even if I don't. So that's it doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus to the degree that I do, you have to know that he lived and that the phenomenon, the growth of the church is real. You can see it all around you. Okay, so... In Acts 1, Jesus ascends to heaven, and the, and the disciples go back to Jerusalem. And at that point in time, the number of believers in Jesus, Acts says, was 120. 120 people hung with the faith, still believed in the faith, were willing to own their faith and pub- publicly acknowledge their faith after the crucifixion of Jesus. Because he's on a cross, so Rome put him on the cross, so guess what? If I believe that and I say the same things he did about the kingdom of heaven being at hand, and they're probably going to put me on that cross too. So that'll thin your numbers. That'll thin your numbers. <laughs> and 
has thinned it down to 120. Okay, so not very many people. So in Acts uh, 1, one of the things they do is they replace Judas, who betrayed Jesus to the Romans, they replace him with Matthias, a new disciple. Okay, so then we go to Acts 2, and uh, Peter addresses the crowd in Acts 2, and he just goes bold, you know, with his faith and talks about, you know, you guys crucified Jesus, but here's the truth and all this kind of stuff. So the Holy Spirit had come, and they it rested upon them and empowered them, gave them like this inspiration. So from all that, <clears throat> at this first speech that Peter made, they said 3,000 people, 3,000 gave their life to Christ. So they went from 120 to 3,120. Now, that must have been a heck of a motivational speech, right? So let's look at the growth since then and who birthed that growth, who drove that growth. In the beginning, it was the apostles, the 12 disciples. Now, if you were Jesus, okay, and you were coming to earth and you were going to look for 12 people who could further your um, your tenets of religion, if you could make your movement grow. Okay, So think of yourself as a leader. Jesus was a leader. He came to earth. He's looking for other leaders that he can draw in to his movement and make his movement grow after he's gone. Well, it would stand a reason that he would pick from religious scholars, um, pastors, teachers, educated people, right? Right? That's how we would do it. It's not how God did it. Jesus chose fishermen, tent makers, tax collectors. He chose blue-collar people, uneducated people, ordinary people. So when I hear people say to me, well, I don't think you know, Jesus couldn't use me. Like, if I came to faith, like, I, I, I don't really see what my ministry would be or how I could help the kingdom, or I, I'm just, a, I'm just, you know, I, it's not equipped. These people that Jesus took were not the cream of the crop. They were not the best leaders. They didn't, they didn't have Dale Carnegie course certifications, <laughs> okay? They were just laborers. And he didn't even go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was like the center of the church, the center of the Jewish universe, much like Rome is the center of the Catholic Church. He didn't even, got, he didn't even get guys from Jerusalem where the, the, the cream of the crop in Judaism was. He got them from Galilee, which is like just a place, you know, like, no, eh, no big deal. And he took them from like this circle of friends. Like a lot of these guys knew each other. Some of them didn't know each other, but a lot of them did. Took two sets of brothers, James and John, Peter and Andrew, so what does that leave us with? He can use anybody. He can use anybody. Because these men, what did they do? They were humble enough to believe, and they were humble enough to trust, and they were committed enough to move forward. Because their experience with him, watching him in his ministry, made such an impact on them that they were not afraid of the consequences. So when you think about how can I evangelize, I'm not a gifted speaker, I'm not, we always fill up the list with I'm nots. I can't do, I'm not, I'm this, I'm that, I'm, I'm inadequate. 
you have a personal story if you're a believer. You have your own journey of how you came to faith and the experiences where God has ministered to you and the way you know he's real. And you have friends and you have coworkers and you may have people who come to you and express questions about your faith. All you have to do is tell them your story. That's all you have to do. Tell them your story. How did Jesus recruit disciples? His recruiting pitch. He didn't buy them a jersey and put their picture on the scoreboard and all that. That's what you do to recruit a football player. Jesus just walked up to someone and said, I'm Jesus. Follow me. Follow me. Watch me. Watch me. Listen to me. Learn from me. If you were going to give somebody, if you, were, if you wanted someone to come over to your house, there's several ways you could do it. You could, you could say, hey, why don't you come over to my house on a weekend? Okay. If that's all you tell them, are they going to be able to find their way to you? Mm, probably not. They might know where you live in a town, but they don't know exactly where you live. You can say, help them out a little bit more. You say, here's my address. And they could look at the address and use their GPS and probably arrive. But if you said, why don't you come over to my house, follow me, follow me, just get right behind me and follow me, you know they're going to get there. If you want to bring somebody to Christ, there's no better way than to do what Jesus did. Jesus said, follow me. Just follow me. Don't be shy. Tell people how God's worked in your life, what he's done for you, when he's delivered for you, how you've hurt and he's comforted you. That's the most powerful testimony you can have. It's great if you know a lot of, you know, your Bible verses and stuff like that. you got to know the plan of salvation. But it's a, if you have come to faith in Jesus, it's a personal relationship. You have a story to tell about your relationship in Christ. So don't be shy about telling it. Don't be shy about telling it. It's not your job to convert other people. This will spare you the burden of thinking, well, you know, he, I've told so-and-so, and he, he just doesn't act on it. That is, what, are the, what were the disciples waiting on? They were waiting on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit completes the transaction. You just present the faith. You present it, okay? So in that term, you're like the, you're like the pretty girl on The Price is Right or on Let's Make a Deal. You come out and you show, here's my faith. Look at it. Here it is. Follow me. And then if they complete the transaction, that's on the Holy Spirit. So little, uh, you know, I hope you don't think my analogies are uh, intemperate or disrespectful. I'm just trying to personalize it because it's personal to me. Hopefully it's personal to you. And that's how we convert people. That's how we draw people. We don't convert people. We draw people. That's how we draw them in. And um, you can say, you know, well, um, that makes me uncomfortable. Well, okay. Makes you uncomfortable. We grow most often when we're uncomfortable. And the other thing is, like, the people you're telling it to, they know you're uncomfortable. But you're telling them how much you love them and care for them. If you're willing to go into a uncomfortable place, take a risk, be transparent, and tell them about all those things. So that's the faith portion of the podcast today. Hope you have a blessed day. Um, my radio show airs this afternoon, 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock on 98.9 The Answer in Columbus. If you care to listen to that, please patronize our sponsors, auiinfo.com. Willis Spangler Starling, online, willisattorneys.com. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Use the promo code WETACKLELIFE. In all caps, get 15% off. And it'd be nice to have some fresh reviews on iTunes. So if you do that, I'd appreciate it. Have a great day. Music.